One, two, six. By the way, it's great to see all of you, but I've got to say, it's really good to see Armando here tonight. I, I am so glad you have retired, my friend, so that you can be with us more. We love Armando and Arlene, and Armando just has worked out of town so much and not been able to be with us, so it's so good that he can be with us. All right, one, one thing before we get into the text tonight, I just had to share with you that we, on Saturday, are at capacity. We are at 185 people coming on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Pray that I don't go insane before Saturday. We'll be okay. No, just teasing. Um, I, I'm actually, uh, I, I've told several, several folks lately that a, a couple weeks ago I was at the place where I was saying, what have I done? <laughs> why, why did I decide to do this? But I actually turned the corner and I actually am very excited and looking forward to Saturday. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Now I'm excited about tonight. So turn with me to Psalm 126. The Lord has done great things for us. I want to read these six verses and then we'll study the text tonight. When the Lord restored the well-being of Zion, we thought we were dreaming. At that time, we laughed loudly and shouted for joy. At that time, the nations said, the Lord has accomplished great things for these people. The Lord did indeed accomplish great things for us. We were happy. O Lord, restore our well-being just as the streams in the arid south are replenished. Those who shed tears as they plant will shout for joy when they reap the harvest. The one who weeps as he walks along carrying his bag of seed will certainly come in with a shout of joy carrying his sheaves of grain. Now, I want to start by saying this. I think we can relate to a lot of what this psalm is talking about, but there is the historical context here which is very hard for us to relate to. And I just want to touch on it for a minute because I think it brings this psalm even to a greater sort of magnitude and importance of, of the depth and the emotion of this psalm. I mean, we've already seen laughter and tears and weeping. There's a lot of emotion here. Why? This psalm was a remembrance of the exile when for 70 years the Israelites were exiled into Babylon. And now finally, after 70 years of exile into Babylon, they are allowed to go back to the land, the promised land, and go back to the temple and go back to worshiping the Lord as God's people. And you can imagine, we don't know who wrote this psalm. It's anonymous. But it had to be somebody in Daniel's generation, somebody that was young enough when the exile took place, that was carried off to Babylon, who even remembered 70 years earlier what it was like to worship with God's people and to be together in God's house. I mean, think about it. How would you feel if you were not permitted to go to church for 70 years? You were not permitted to be with God's people and to worship Him for seven years. What kind of emotion would you have? 
I can tell you, I miss a week with you all and with God in his house. And it affects me. I can't imagine going weeks and months and years without being able to assemble together. And that's part of the emotion here and the background of this psalm. You see, the psalmist here who wrote this is reminding the people, this is why we leave our houses from all over the land and we are willing to make that trek and travel these long distances over hot, arid, dry, desert roads to get to Jerusalem. This is why. Because the Lord has done great things for us. It's a psalm of trying to remind us of all the good things that God has done. And that He brought them through their exile in Babylon. Let's not forget, the reason they were in exile in Babylon was their choice, not God's. They had turned their back on God. And God said, the only way I can bring you back to me is by depriving you of the opportunities and the privileges that you are now taking for granted. If you don't take for granted, or if if you don't seize the opportunity to come and worship me in my house, and to be with my people, then I'm going to take that away from you. And I'm going to show you what you were taking for granted. So it's a psalm reminding us not to take the privileges and the opportunities we have as God's people to worship Him and to be together to take for granted. Now this psalm has three aspects. Even though it's a song, obviously, a a song that they would sing, There is a praise at the beginning, there is a prayer, and then there is a promise. And we're going to look at all of those tonight. A praise, a prayer, and a promise. Notice, first of all, in verse 1, he says, When the Lord restored the well-being of Zion, when He turned back toward Israel, when He brought us out of captivity... Which is what it means. It's talking about here restoring us from captivity. The psalmist is reminding his people, God is a God of deliverance. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of second chances, of new starts. And that's what the restoration from captivity represented to God's people. It was a new start. And that's where, even though you and I maybe have never experienced a 70-year captivity in a foreign country, you and I certainly know what it's like with God to have the privilege of new starts in our life. Of being able to have a fresh start. For for God to deliver us from something. For Him to restore us from our captivity. To set us free. We sang about that tonight. Whether the captivity is something physical in your life, whether it's something emotional, whether it's, it's something spiritual, God is a God of deliverance and restoration. And He wants to set His people free. He does not want us to be held in captivity, in bondage, you see. And that's what exile represented to these people. They were in captivity and finally they they were free again. And the freedoms that they took for granted, being able to go to God's house and be together and worship together and all this that they took for granted all those years had been again taken from them and they were deprived of it. And now notice what what this, this person is saying. And again, it had to be somebody pretty young when the exile took place because they remembered what it was like. 
you know, there were so many children and old generation that was born in Babylon that didn't even know what worship in the temple was like. They didn't know what Jerusalem looked like. They didn't know what their promised land looked at at all. They had never even been there. But this person had. And notice what they say. I love this. They say, when the Lord did set us free from our captivity and deliver us, we thought we were dreaming. It was like, it's too good to be true. It, it, it can't be, right? Because don't you and I sometimes, in certain situations and, and seasons of life, and maybe even in the captivity of something, we think it's never going to change, it's never going to get any better, we're never going to overcome it or whatever. And then finally, when God brings deliverance, when we trust in the Lord and, and His ability to restore us and to deliver us, it's like, wow, God, I, I never thought it could be like this. I never thought it could be so good. I never thought anything would change. And that's exactly where this person is. You and I can resonate with this. Because we've all been there at times when the Lord has moved in such a way that we thought we were dreaming. I've had experiences like that in my life personally. We've had experiences like that here as a church in just seven and a half years. It's like, wow, God, I, I never dreamed. I mean, even this little thing on Saturday, like Jeff is hoping for 75 God gives us 185. God always does exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. We've got to believe in the God of deliverance and the God of restoration. And maybe here tonight, you're held in captivity physically, emotionally, spiritually. Something's got you held captive. And maybe you've given up hope. You have maybe come to a place where you think it's never going to change. It's never going to get any better. Nothing's going to ever come. You need to come back and realize the words of this song. It is the Lord who can deliver and restore us from any kind of captivity or bondage that we are in, including delivering His, his whole nation of people from a powerful nation like Babylon, the most powerful nation on earth at that time. And yet God set him free. Read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Those are, the, those are the books that are the backdrop of even what's going on here. When those people flooded back into the promised land and took back the land that God had promised them once again. And can you imagine what emotions... We're going through them as well. God is a God of dreams. Don't give up on your dreams. If God has given you a dream, you hang on to it. Then notice what he says about this praise. At that time, we laughed loudly. We literally were filled with joy. We were giddy, is what he's saying. And we shouted for joy. We cried out in praise to God. I mean, here's a person that cannot hold their emotions in. They are so overwhelmed by what God has done that they can't contain it. Can I tell you? That's the kind of heart and worship that God wants to build into each of us. 
that we are so aware of what God has done in our life and what He is doing in our life and who He is, that it just bursts out of us. It cannot be contained. It's not a matter of our worship leader or a pastor or anybody else trying to pull it out of us. Come on, worship with me. Let's sing out. Let's get excited about the Lord. Let's shout. Let's... No, it, it should be something that is so bubbling up in us that we just sort of overflow into it. See, these, these people didn't have any problem once they got back to the promised land of worshiping. They went straight to the house of the Lord. They went straight to be with each other. It was like, we hadn't done this for 70 years. We are ready. We are ready. So often because, you know, you and I maybe do this on a weekly basis, like anything, familiarity breeds contempt, it can get old, and, and we must guard against that. Coming together and being together and being with God and worshiping Him and being in His Word should never get old to us. It'd be, it should be something that is always fresh and alive in our lives. And we see that here. Remember something. This was a God who, yes, allowed them to go into exile by their own choice. But this was a God who was with them while they were there in exile. And His profound love and care took care of all of those exiles while they were there. Read Daniel. Read about his three friends. God was there with Daniel in the lion's den in Babylon. God was there with the three uh, friends of Daniel when they were thrown into the fire. God was right there. He was there in Israel, but He was always there in Babylon. And He made sure that He was going to bring a strong, sturdy, firm, on-fire remnant back from Babylon who had been purified and refined by that exile back to Jerusalem so that they could start a fire for God again in the Promised Land. That's why you'll notice what he says next. Notice it says, at that time, the nations, not the, not the people of God, the Gentiles said, you know what? This God, this Lord has accomplished great things for these people. Think about it. What a witness that as the nations saw what God had done on behalf of His people by bringing them out of captivity and releasing them from the Babylonians and bringing them back, even the nation said, this God has done great things for these people. See, when God truly begins to move and work amongst His people, He does such amazing things that even unbelievers... And other people around us have to notice what God is doing. That's the kind of witness and testimony we should desire to be, both individually and as a church. That God is doing something. That we're not trying to manufacture something or do something in our own power and strength, but that we just allow God to do such a work that only God can get the credit for it. And it becomes so great that even people around have to go, wow, that... That God that they serve and that they worship over there, He's done great things for them. That's amazing. And then the psalmist says, basically echoes what the nations have said. They say, yeah, the Lord has indeed accomplished great things for us. We were happy. We were glad. We were joyful. We were always rejoicing. We were giddy. We couldn't help but just laugh because 
We knew what it was like to be in bondage and to be in exile and to be away from God and His his house and His people. And now we're back. And may we never take this for granted again. See, the psalmist, again, wants to just place before all of us the things that we may begin to take for granted and remind us of the goodness and the graciousness of God and the fact that we need to very intentionally count our blessings every day. To remind ourselves, the Lord has done great things for us. So that's the praise. Then notice the prayer in verse 4. O Lord, restore our well-being, just as the streams in the arid south are replenished. Just as the psalmist was dreaming because the Lord had restored them from captivity, from bondage, and set them free, now the psalmist is praying in this song for God to restore the fortunes of His people because even though they were now delivered and they were back in their land, it wasn't like they could just sort of pick up where they left off. And the psalmist is praying, God, before we started to slide backward from you, before we started to forsake you and take you for granted and to take the privileges and opportunities as God's people that we have for granted, can you restore us back to that place before we started to make that slide backwards? We're parched. That's why he, I love the, the uh, imagery that's used here because you and I especially live in Phoenix. We can identify with this because it's, it's much the same climate. You see, in that part of the world, that arid south around the Negev Desert is a lot like our desert out here, it, especially before the monsoon comes. It gets dried out. It gets cracked. It's parched. It is so in need of water. And yet at one time of the year, the rains begin to fall in the mountains over there. And then it begins to flow and flood down the mountains and come down to these wadis, if you will, as we like to say here, even in in this area, you know, these, these channels and whatever, and literally floods them. They are literally overflowing with water that flows from the mountains down into these streams. And literally, the desert, if you will, is now not dry any longer for a season. It is literally running with water, and it is replenished. And I know even from living here, it doesn't take a lot of water in the desert for things to start to pop and bloom and come back to life again. And so you see life coming from the water that is given. And you and I, again, have to understand the depth here. These people were spiritually parched. They were dry. They hadn't had a real spiritual experience like they used to have before the exile for 70 years. I think about people even today. How many even Christians are spiritually dry and parched? They, they, just, they don't even know how dry they are until maybe they have some kind of encounter or experience with God or in a church where they finally feel like they can come and connect with God and worship Him again and hear His Word and be fed and be replenished, that's where the prayer comes from. God, I'm dry. 
replenish me. And just as God is a God of restoration, our God is a God of refreshment and replenishment. If you're dry, if you're spiritually parched, God can bring water into your life that will revive you and replenish you and refresh you. The water of life that God gives is always available to us. Even the book of Revelation says at the end, come, come drink that water of life freely. Jesus told the woman at the well, I've got water that if you drink from that water, you'll never be thirsty again. We don't have to be dry. We don't have to be parched. And that's the prayer of the psalmist here. Oh, just as dry as that southern desert is in Israel, but there's that one time of the year where the water flows in and refreshes everything and replenishes everything. And that's what they were longing for. That's what they were praying for. And they knew that God could bring it. Just as God could bring restoration and deliverance, God could bring replenishment and refreshment. So here tonight, if you're here and you're in that position, know that God wants to flood you with spiritual water and refresh your soul and revive you. Think of Psalm 23, where the psalmist says, He leaves me beside those still waters. He restores my soul. That's the God. That's the God that the psalmist is talking about here in Psalm 26. And then, these last couple of verses, a promise. A promise to remember in faith and hope who God is. And I don't know about you, but I really connected with these verses too in these last several weeks as I was studying and meditating on them. Notice the promise. Those who shed tears as they plant. Those who are weeping as they are sowing and scattering seed will shout for joy when they reap or gather or collect the harvest. Now, I, w- I want to share something here. Notice, notice what the psalmist is saying. So we, we've left the captivity of Babylon. We've come back to the promised land. But we haven't been there for 70 years. And we've got to start cultivating the soil. We've got to start planting. We've got to start sowing seed. But guess what? As they began to plant and sow, the harvest didn't come immediately. The harvest didn't come immediately. And yet, notice something here. It is always our responsibility to keep sowing to keep laying down that seed. Even to the point where even if the harvest hasn't come and there doesn't seem to be any results or any fruit, that it even brings weeping and tears to our eyes. Keep on sowing seed. Because God promises, if you keep sowing those seeds, eventually, in my timing, you will reap a harvest. There will be fruit. There will be results. But you can't give up sowing the seed. That's why Paul said in Galatians, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't 
faint or give up or lose heart. So many Christians give up because they don't see the results quickly enough. And they move on to something else instead of continuing to sow. See, even, even if it comes with weeping. See, one of the things that the psalmist is also reminding us of is God knows our pain that we go through as we sow our seed. As we lay the seed, He knows our pain. In fact, Psalm 56 verse 8 tells us a very amazing thing, that God literally has a container, a jar, a bottle that He keeps all of our tears in. Did you know that? Look it up. Psalm 56 verse 8. God keeps a jar, a container, a bottle of your tears that you have shed and wept. And This is so powerful because we all have been there where we keep sowing something and we don't see any harvest. We don't see any results. We don't see anything positive changing. And there's times where we're all alone and we're just weeping and we're wondering, am I making a difference? Is God using me? Is anyone listening? Am I doing all this for nothing? We've all been there. And what God wants to remind us and promise us is this. You keep sowing. You keep scattering that seed. And I promise you, you will have a harvest. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Yes, you, you will come to places in your life and in your ministry where you will probably shed tears because you don't see the results that you're wanting to see. Whatever that is. In life. God, I've worked at this for so long, I see nothing. Weeping. Weeping. Questioning ourselves. But God says, hang in there, keep sowing, because you will. Notice what he says. You will actually shout for joy when you finally gather and collect the harvest. You will cry out and praise God. It'll be be a greater harvest than you can ever imagine. Don't lose faith. Don't give up hope. Keep sowing your seed. This psalm reminds us that God is a God of restoration. God is a God that replenishes and refreshes us. And this psalm is reminding us to remember, to not give up hope, and to keep sowing our seed. Notice he says in verse 6, the one who literally weeps as he walks. In other words, I'm still doing my ministry, God. I'm still living life the way I know you want to. I'm not seeing anything change, but I'm just going to keep laying the seed down. Carrying his bag of seed literally means seeing the seed scattered behind him as he throws it on the ground. The word weep here literally means to lament in grief and humiliation. I mean, it's deep emotion. 
I know in my life, there have been times where I felt like I didn't even have the spiritual, emotional, and physical strength to keep sowing. And I don't know, I don't know what, well, I do know, it, it, it was the power of God in me that just kept getting me up and moving me forward and planting seed. Even sometimes, in my own mind, I, I didn't really feel like I had the energy, the wherewithal to keep planting anymore, to keep sowing. And yet, God said, get up, just keep doing it. Because, Jeff, if you keep sowing seed, you will one day reap a harvest. Notice again the promise. The one who weeps as he walks, leaving behind a trail of seed, that's what the carrying the bag of seed means, will certainly come in with again a shout of joy, crying out in praise to God, carrying his sheaves of grain. Wow. Don't give up on your dreams. Remember that our God is a God that when he does move, when the results do come, when the harvest begins to come in, when the fruit begins to be born from all the seeds that you and I have planted, it will be as if we were dreaming. We'll go, wow, God, I never saw that coming. That blows my mind. Never dreamed that. Too good to be true. When you and I think something's too good to be true, that's never the case with God. God can always do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I hope tonight, even though this psalm in some ways, what was born, or how it was born, if you will, birthed, we can't identify with it all because we've never been in exile for 70 years, but we certainly can identify with the emotions of it and the heart of it and the teaching of it. Because we've all been in captivity and needed to be reminded that God is a God of restoration. And we've all been at that place where at times we were spiritually dry and parched and we need to come back to God, to the source of living water, and have Him replenish us. And we've also been in this place where there's been a season of our life where we kept sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and nothing to the point where it brought us to tears. And again, we began to question everything. Am I doing what I should be doing? Am I at the right place? Maybe I, you know, got a mixed signal from God. Maybe I shouldn't do this anymore. And it even brought us to weeping. Because we thought we weren't making any difference at all. God wants to encourage you tonight. You are making a difference. And you will make a difference. Just trust and have faith and hope in God as you continue to lay down that seed.
next week. I hope you'll come back. Psalm 127. How worship banishes anxiety. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of anxious people in the world today. Do you notice that? So Psalm 127 is a very timely psalm. You want to learn how to banish anxiety out of your life? Learn the principles that's taught in Psalm 127 about how worship can banish our anxiety. Let's pray. God, we thank You that You are a God who has done great things for us. And You are a God that can be trusted to restore us, to replenish us, and to bring in a harvest, God, if we'll just stay faithful in planting that seed. God, I pray tonight that these words that were written over 3,000 years ago would still have a very powerful effect on Your people even tonight. And God, we're reminded of the deep emotions at times that we have even as followers of You. There are times where we're weeping, we're hurting, but there's also times, God, where we're so filled with joy and we're laughing and we're giddy because we've seen You move and work. And so God, I'm praying tonight specifically for us as the Oasis Church and for this community that surrounds us. Because I believe that there are many, many people who are spiritually parched and dry. They need, God, Your spiritual refreshment. They need a church like the Oasis. They need to come back to worship and the Word in their life. They need the fellowship of fellow believers so desperately in their life. God, I pray that You would lead them here to us or to other churches, God, where You can refresh them. Just as You do the dry desert ground. God, thank You for Your wonderful Word. Thank You for the privilege of worshiping You. Of giving You thanks. Of giving You praise of exalting You, God, for You are worthy of it all. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for being here. I just would ask for your prayers over these next couple days as I prepare for Saturday and Sunday. Thank you so much. God bless you. We'll see many of you on Saturday.